Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 80 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. No player has worn number 80 for the New York Mets, but that trend will not continue next week. Next week, we will have a surprise for number 81. With the lockout still going on, Joe and I planned a fun show for y'all today. We have basically what Mets moves should be made when the lockout finally ends. So Joe and I each compiled our own list of things we want to see this front office execute whenever, whenever these two sides can get together and figure it out. My God, this stinks. And as always, when we're done with that, which is going to include trades, it's going to include free agency, a couple outside the box ideas as well. We're going to handle another mailbag. So Joe, Let's bring you in. We're in February. Baseball uh, has not figured this out. It is getting kind of public and nasty out in these streets right now. What's going on? Not much. By the way, number 80, it would have been Kumar Rocker's number because that's what he wears. So like number, we could have had a number 80, but lo and behold. But here uh, we are. (laughs) We will continue to not have one. Uh, As far as the whole MLB, MLBPA thing, we're at the point now it's the let's just criticize each other publicly now. Um, the quote from Adam Wainwright that I texted you earlier today, uh, I, I guess it was from an event this weekend or yesterday. It, it was something very recent. And I don't know if the MLBPA probably will like the fact that he said this. Uh, his quote is, if the owners propose the exact same deal we have right now, we'd probably go play baseball, to be honest with you. And I think that just leads me to believe that what's happening right now, you know, you saw Max Scherzer tweet. You've seen a million players tweet. Uh, I tweeted out the Trevor May video where he went in on Manfred. Uh, You have Marcus Stroman calling him man clown. Like all, all this stuff is to me, MLBPA and the players last ditch effort to like publicly shame MLB into caving uh, on something. But the reality is I, I, I don't want it to be this way. The players are going to end up caving. Like the owners don't like, I've thought about this a lot over the last couple of days. The owners don't really have anything to lose. Like they don't, they're not losing money. Like if baseball is delayed, the owners aren't losing money. They're just not making that extra money. Uh, the players are the ones that are losing money. Like they're going to be losing game checks. And, um, you have 150 plus free agents out there that I'm sure are saying to the union and, you know, their union reps and whatever, like, I appreciate what you guys are doing for us, but I kind of need a job. So can we figure something out? So I still, I'm still going to maintain that. I think we're just looking at a really tough spot in the negotiation and they'll figure out a way to have a truncated spring training, start the season on time. I just don't know. I just don't think the players are going to be willing willing enough to actually ride this out and miss games and cost people cost a hundred plus players jobs over. I mean, we're talking about splitting up an arbitration pool and minimum salary, like things that I support the players and I want, I want them to win everything that they're asking for. Basically like to me, it all makes sense, but the way these things work, something just tells me, the players will cave in the next two to three weeks and you know, they'll, they'll get some slight concessions maybe from MLB and we'll just move on with our life. Yeah, obviously this is just, it's not in a good place and that can change rapidly. 
And the fact that it's come down to this just goes to show you that, you know, I think, Joe, at the end of the day, the, the main issue here probably is that you have and this isn't about all of them, but probably a majority of them. The owners have patience on their side because I just don't know how much they care compared to the players where, yes, they will lose a lot of money, the owners, if this goes on for a long time. There's no no one's denying that. But they are, because you're talking about billionaires, more equipped to survive this than the players that are trying to become millionaires. That's, you know, because the way fans look at the game, everybody thinks of like the guys that make 20, 25, 30 mil. And that's such a small percentage compared to the entire league that the guys that are playing on minimum salaries or the guys that God are a year away from hitting free agency, something they've worked their whole life for. And a lot of times those guys are 29 or 30 years old. It's just, there's a little bit more desperation and that stinks. That's not good. It's not, it's a bad image uh, from the MLB owners, but fortunately there aren't a ton of people that, you know, will dive in and hold that against them. And, and there's not as much repercussions. So this has so many problems and I, I think it's going to get figured out, but the fact that it's come to this point, is just such a bad look. And for me, a lot of it is really on one side and that is the ownership of MLB baseball. And Manfred's a joke. Yeah. Let me sneak that in to close it, out. Yeah, it, it's a hundred percent, in my opinion, on the owner side. Like, I don't see them negotiating any kind of good faith. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're interested on budging on very much. Like, they're budging on the minuscule of things to just kind of be like, "See, we're we're willing to work with you," but they they don't really want to. Uh, that's definitely the vibe that is coming off. That they're not they're not looking to work with the players. They know that. They are in the advantageous position, and they always will be. That's the case in all sports. Like we don't talk about the CBAs in other sports because they just get worked out in private. And like I, I know NFL, like you'll just see a tweet from me and Rappaport or something one day. It's just like, oh, NFL, and they extended their CBA. Oh, okay, and you just move on with your day. Baseball, of course, it has to be a thing. Um, there's got to be the public back and forth, and you know. I side with the players. I hope they get what they want, but they're never going to be in an advantageous position unless they're willing to literally strike and sit out a season. And I just, I just don't think, I just don't think that can happen. I just don't think they're going to be willing to do that. That's, that is uh, doing too much damage to too much of the population of their union. So we'll see how the next two, three weeks go. Like um, last week, last week, MLB said they weren't going to counter MLBPA's offer. They wanted the mediation. MLBPA told them to piss off. We don't want your mediation. We just want to talk. And now MLB is convening this week, and I guess they're going to actually send an offer this week. So they're just they're just biding their time and just waiting until, all right, just hold out these players until they're desperate. And if you have guys like Adam Wainwright talking like that, who's to say how much of the union is actually talking that way? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, it's it's just not a fun issue. I know you and I are obviously over it. Fans of baseball are over it. And nobody wants to see this season start late. Or uh, how? Let me close out with this before we actually get into the fun of the show. How close are we to the point where the start of the season is in legitimate jeopardy? Still got a little time. Okay, uh, that's good. I, yeah, you still have some time. Ultimately, from what I hear is... If it's much after March 1st for spring training to start, you're in trouble. Like I, it, you could do a week, you could report on March 1st, like, you know, start spring training March 1st, do drills or whatever for a few days, and then do three weeks of games. And both sides seem to indicate they think that would be good enough. Uh, so March 1st is really the date where like spring training has to start, not, not a CBA agreement. So you Realistically, like, I don't know, February 24th, 25th. Like, we still got, you know, three plus weeks. But, I mean, hell, we've been talking about this for two months. So, those those couple weeks are going to go pretty fast. So, they need to make some headway in order to not impact the season. And uh, I just, like I said, I, I think it's just going to come down to the players are going to hold firm as long as they can. And then 
they're going to end up giving in. I just, I just think it's going to happen. I don't want it. I, I don't want them th- or that to happen to them, but I think that's just kind of inevitable. Mm, yeah, it, it certainly feels that way. All right, let's actually get into talking about baseball and when there were happier times that was the off season trades, signings, hirings, all kinds of things. And let's go into our moves that we are hoping to see the Mets make out of the lockout or, or put your GM hat on and what you would do. And I'll kick us off here, Joe. I'll start with one that, you know, I've kind of been hammering home on every single pod when we talk about this team. And for me, it's coming out of the gate and finding a way to get offense. And I think the obvious number one player that would be on my board would be Chris Bryant. But I've just put find a way to get Chris Bryant or Kyle Schwarber on a two year deal. Now, that's probably easier said than done. I think you need the market to go a certain way. I think you need the market to be underwhelming for these guys. Maybe that is, unfortunately, a longer lockout and a little bit more of a sprint uh, before the season kicks off. And maybe it's that one of these guys, when they look at, the market, they go, I'll sign a two-year deal, but I can opt out after one. And obviously the money is going to be very significant in that two-year period. The annual average is going to be much higher than what you would have saw on a five or six-year deal for these guys. So I think the Mets need more power. Obviously, Brian's the top guy because he can actually give you a little bit positional versatility where Arias Schwarber would be looked at more as a DH. And then I put in this, just to be realistic and fair, my backup options would be Nelson Cruz or Jorge Soler, who are true DH options. And I think are actually, I don't know about Cruz, because it's, you know, it's remained to be seen if, you know, how how much he wants to explore somewhere new. Uh, but when you look at Soler, I think he could be a legit DH signing. But my 1A coming out of this is, can you kind of capitalize on what has been an unconventional offseason because of, the lockout because of the window you've built financially to go in and out of over the luxury tax. And can you find a way to put a bow on this thing? So my question for you on this, I mean, obviously the Mets can use a little more thump in their lineup and, you know, oddly my plan when we get to it, isn't really doing much of that for you, but uh, what, what would be your plan with Bryant? How would you want to utilize them? Are you, are you trading Jeff McNeil away? Cause when I look at the team, like it feels like it's missing something, but where are you actually putting that something? Because you have Escobar at third, you have McNeil at second, uh, your outfield is full. Cano in theory is your DH. So like, w- what's your, what's your plan there? Like, what are you doing? Like you're signing Chris Bryant, you're getting the, you're convincing him to take two years, $55 million, $60 million, whatever, whatever the number is. Are you then flipping McNeil somewhere, shifting Escobar over to second and playing Brian at third? Or, you know, where are you going with that? Well, I think number one, to get him here, you're going to have to find out what he wants to do. And maybe that's because this is him trying to reestablish his market. So if he wants to play third, he gets to play third and then Escobar is going to play second. And that's going to make McNeil a super utility player. If he wants to play, if he wants to play in the outfield, which is very, very unlikely, that becomes a little bit more complicated of a situation. But I think why I like Bryant so much, Joe, is that the unfortunate reality is they're one injury away and and he kind of gives you the Swiss army to solve that injury, right? Like, look at the amount of injuries, as great of a player he can be, Brandon Nimmo has dealt with in his career. Well, if if you lose Brandon Nimmo at some point of this year, you can flip Canna over to left and put Chris Bryant in right. If you lose a Jeff McNeil, now you have a guy that can play in the infield at that corner spot. And that's the nice thing about signing Escobar is that he can play second or third where you're also thinking the same way, providing yourself some insurance. But at the end of the day, I look at it with Bryant and go, the fact that you're getting a power bat that can DH, that can play third and play right field, it almost feels like the rest would figure itself out over time. Yeah, right, Cano like, is, a, right. is yeah. an interesting variable, though. You're right. Yeah, For me, I, mean, I, I think I just don't include him in any sturdy plans. Yeah, I, I feel like you have to, unless he's going to get caught with steroids again. 
something's got something's gonna be happening with Robinson Cano on this roster. I mean, do they make him a just a bench bat? That's a distinct possibility. Um, I think Bryant ultimately. I don't know if he's gonna be game for the high AAV short term deal, but like you said, the market is gonna be an absolute race to figure out who signs where. Like it's musical chairs, it's financial musical chairs in a short period of time, and there's only gonna be so many seats. So is is that five or six year deal out there for Chris Bryant? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And if it's not, you know, this feels like a, a pretty awesome spot for him to kind of you know put up some numbers help out the team and, you know, get the opportunity to cash in when things are kind of more normalized next year. Yeah, that's where I'm thinking. I think that this is a unique situation and maybe more hopeful than you ever want to be as a front office executive. And that's why I do put in the the backup option that's Schwarber, who I think can easily take a two-year deal with a, an opt-out after one and then the really next tier of guys with Cruz and Solaire. So where are you kicking things off? So I'm going to go to the trade market first, which it's kind of interesting because I have a couple trades in my plan, but I don't know how how much trade activity is going to happen. So like, let's play the hypothetical game of, you know, they have an agreement on February 24th plan for a March 1st spring training start. In that week to 10 days, how much focus is going to be on the 150 plus free agents versus the handful of teams that are trying to shed salary or, or shed money in, in trade. So I think the trade market might end up not being quite as active as we expect, but uh, regardless of that, I put two trades in here and I'm going to start with a uh, trading of JD Davis. Uh, so the Arizona diamondbacks reportedly are looking for a person that can play third base, which by all technicalities, J.D. Davis can play third base um, that has some contractual control. So I look at Arizona, I go, J.D. Davis seems like that type of guy for you. So I'm proposing that you trade J.D. Davis, an infield prospect, Jose Peroza, to Arizona for left-handed pitcher Caleb Smith, who would kind of fulfill that Aaron Loop role where he's the lefty out of the bullpen, but he's also started before. And you'd have the opportunity to have both Caleb Smith and uh, a guy like Trevor Williams in the bullpen who give who have the ability to give you two, three innings if you need it. And of course, you know where I'm going here. Uh, also have Arizona throwing in the competitive balance round A draft pick, which uh, is like a top 45, top 40, top 45 pick. Um, you see, you've seen those traded in the past for guys like Omar Narvaez, like. The picks are valuable, but they're not getting traded for premium players. So I look at it as Caleb Smith's numbers weren't very good this year, but you look at his spin rate, his hard hit rate, um, his barrel rate, things like that on Baseball Savant, those check out. So you, you'd like to believe that there's more in Caleb Smith than what he gave you. And, you know, this time last year, we were having a conversation about Aaron Loop, like, ugh, they really downgrade from Aaron Loop. But when they went from Justin Wilson to Aaron Loop, and obviously that was not the case. So if I feel like Caleb Smith has something, and if I could get another draft pick out of it, um, I'm totally down to do that. I really like the creativity of this move. Obviously, you know, you really brought something unique to the table in terms of how do you get some kind of draft capital back while also finding a home for J.D. Davis. Just looking at the roster crunch that it's hard to really project his fit here short term and long term that's the thing with JD like are you going to hold on to him short term not really be sure of his fit and, and decrease his value over time where it's not very high right now but it could just be nothing so and, and Caleb Smith are you expecting you know him to be some significant impact arm i don't think anybody is but can he like you said if the Data tells you there is some um, something to unlock there more than the guy he's been that's hovered mostly above a four ERA traditionally. Yeah, if he spent a lot of he spent a lot of time as a starter earlier in his career too. Like uh, so he's really transitioned more into a bullpen role more recently. So I, I I like you said I think there's more to unlock with Caleb Smith and it, it feels like JD Davis 
is more valuable than Caleb Smith present day. Um, but like you said, if they, if they keep JD Davis around and he's just a power bat off the bench, this, you know, this time next year, you're not getting a single thing for JD Davis. So it feels like it's now or never as far as trading JD Davis goes. Yeah. And, and adding a lefty arm is something that this team needs to do. So I think that that helps a little bit as well. Maybe you have a better matchup plan for Caleb Smith on your roster. So my second thing here is pretty simple and straightforward, but attack the veteran starting pitching market. And I think the number one guy for me, which I've seen brought up plenty of places and the more and more I think on it and research on it, I actually love it even more than what I took it as face value is to check in with the A's for Sean Mania. And the thought process here is you're looking for teams that want to unload money, teams that, you know, not only want to unload money, but want to get something before the guy can just walk away. And for the Mets, that's actually a good thing because the Mets are not looking to take on all of this money that's, you know, going to be hamstringing them for a long time. They, they're looking for guys that might have a year or two left of control if the number is going to be high. So when you look at Sean Manaya, I think he's due about $10 million this year and, and then gets to hit free agency. I think he would be really, really effective in the middle of this rotation that I would, I would be willing to even trade something not significant for him. Like I'm not calling the A's and be like, here, take our top prospects. But I'm not afraid of offering a legitimate trade package to land him. And if that strategy doesn't work out, this is the overall point. Veterans on teams that might be making too much money for what they're worth to that team that have one or two years left on the deal that can give you a lot of innings and can be effective doing so. Yeah, Sean Manaya was my number two as well. Uh, my backups, like you said, maybe there's other trades, like maybe you're going to Cincinnati and going after a Sonny Gray um, or a, a Tyler Molly or however you say his name. I've done that before. I actually, I never looked it up, but either a investigating that market, or I think the ultimate fallback for me is you say Kikuchi uh, as a free sure. agent. You could, you could hit him on the market if the trade market doesn't work out, but just to throw some names to a, a Mania trade, I'm no Jim Duquette here, but just trying to make some things that could potentially make sense. Uh, Oakland is, very likely to trade Matt Olson when this lockout ends. That's by all counts, it seems like the number one trade candidate in all of baseball. So if Matt Olson's traded and let's assume it's not to the Yankees, because I feel like if he gets dealt to the Yankees, Luke Voigt would be a part of the deal. And that would kind of ruin the need for what I'm giving here. But if they send Olson elsewhere, I figure the Mets send them Dom Smith who can just plug right in, be their everyday first baseman has three years of control a little bit younger, California kid. Like, I think he just seamlessly, he feels like he would just seamlessly take that job. And then I'm not willing to give a top 10 prospect in addition to Dom Smith uh, for a rental of Sean Mania. But I look at a guy like Carlos Cortez, who's just outside of my top 10. Um, he's rule five eligible. So the Mets clearly didn't add him to the 40-man roster. Maybe Oakland has more room on their 40-man, and they look at a guy like Cortez and are willing to take him on because he's you know, a pure hitter, good exit velocities, pretty good power for a slight frame. It's just a matter of you know, what, where's he going to play? Like He did a little bit of infield, did a little bit of outfield previous to this year, and now he played just outfield and wasn't particularly great at it this year. So his positional uh, value is in question, but he is someone who can hit and maybe Oakland can maximize him. And then uh, upper level, uh, upper level arm for them, uh, Josh Walker, who I think you have a, you have some Josh Walker information, but uh, <laughs> uh, Josh Walker is a guy that had a good year, uh, rose all the way to triple A Syracuse. And he's a bit of an older guy. He's not big time stuff, but he's got, you know, number five starter swing man type upside. So I think if you're getting that and you're Oakland, you got to feel at least decently happy about it. And if the cost is much more for the Mets, like if they're demanding a Calvin Ziegler, a Dom Hamill or so someone that's, you know, more highly regarded in the system, then I would just say, thank you for your time. 
And I would just <laughs> go sign. I would just go sign Yusei Kikuchi. Like I'm, I'm trying to utilize their need or desire to shed some money and someone that's on an expiring contract. And I think that's a trade that might work for both sides. Yeah, I went to uh, preschool with jo- and grew up with Josh's brother. So I mean, it's been pretty cool to see his rise through the Mets system and what he's turned himself into after being such a late round pick and having success in the minors for the Mets that I am secretly hoping that they do not trade him because I think it would be uh, really, really awesome just to see, you know, for him, a New York kid and his family getting to watch it. I've talked about it with his brother before. I'm like, man, when he gets to make his debut at city, like that's going to be really special for you guys. So definitely one of the, the guys in the Mets system that uh, would be kind of a Cinderella story in a way. And hopefully we get to see that at some point, but I'm, I'm glad Joe, that's why you and I work so well together. You made the trade package, um, the legit, like, Hey, here's the starting point for someone like Manaya. And you've outlined on this show before why Dom can be a legitimate fit for them and the type of player they want. And, why trading Dom to Oakland might bring back the most significant return for the Mets. So I I would do that trade. Um, I think it would be honestly a, a mammoth of a game changer. I'm very curious to see the A's process. If do they go into the season and roll the dice? Like what if they roll the dice and say, Hey, we think Mania can be an all-star the first half. And then at the trade deadline, they get even more in return for him because you know how hungry teams get at the deadline. They always, every, not everyone, many, too many teams think they're one big piece away from a world series at the deadline while they're not as desperate that way in the off season. So that's definitely a factor. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. In in my eyes, like they got to pay him for half the year. They would have to pay him for half the year for sure. I mean, certainly they would then go trade him and, say you're taking every penny of the rest of this contract to whoever sure. uh, trades for him. But like I said, we're, we're going into a sprint here whenever this ends. And you just, you at least have to wonder how much time our team's going to spend BS negotiating with each other. Cause I mean, when trades happen, they're usually two months in the works, like six, especially off season trades. Like those are a couple months in the works, you know, whatever. And, the, and all these teams are now trying to sign these free agents. How much time are they really going to devote? Like, is it going to truly be like a trade deadline where it's just like, all right, we have hours to figure out this trade. So we're either doing it or we're not doing it. Uh, so I'm very interested to see how the trade market goes. But Sean Manaya, I think, tops my, let's call it realistic list of starting pitching targets. And after him, you know, I like Sonny Gray. Most people seem not to. Uh, I also don't mind Chris Bassett in Oakland. I don't feel like Frankie Montas or Luis Castillo. I don't think those guys are going to be on the move. So you might end up just getting shuttled back to free agency. Yeah, I think that's the question is, can you find teams that want to do business now? Or did this scramble cost, you know, negotiating time that they kick the can down the road and wait till the deadline? And I think that is truly something that you and I can't answer right now is as the lockout continues on and we don't know how, you know, right. Like, let me paint it to you this way, Joe, because I like putting you in the GM chair for the baseball scenarios here. Like if you were a GM and you, you see this scramble coming and, and you're the GM of the Mets and you know that what you've done on the front line of your rotation is thrilling. I mean, you got Max Scherzer and say you're even optimistic about Jacob deGrom's health to as, as much as you can be, but you know how vital a number four starter is to you right now. Do you have a fear that if you spend time trying to trade for one, that's simply better. Like Mania is simply better than what you're going to sign, but you are risking someone else taking what's available off the free agent market from you like how does that play out in your head that's that's a tough one because i mean ultimately this is almost unforeseen like this has not happened before we don't 
like this whole scramble. It's NFL free agency, essentially, which is kind of what you're used to. But uh, baseball's not used to this. So uh, ultimately, if I were sitting in the seat of Billy Epler, which I'm sure they're thankful that I am not, but uh, if if I was, I would not burn too much time in the trade talks. I would go. I would just come straight to Oakland and I would tell them, this is what I'm offering. Do you want it? If not, like you have like a quick counter, essentially. Otherwise, I have to move on because if I spend at this point, it, like if you spend two days on a trade talk, you might lose free agents in that pro in that time frame. So it's really got to be fast, furious. And, you know, Billy Epler did say in one of the articles that Joel Sherman wrote, I believe that like once the lockout ends, he has five things that he like is ready to go do. So I wonder if, you know, obviously they haven't spoken to Oakland. I'm, well, I shouldn't say obviously. They're not supposed to have spoken to Oakland <laughs> during this lockout. Let's assume that the rules were followed and no no one spoke. Like maybe the idea is Billy Epler has a trade idea in mind and he's going to go right to them when the word go hits. And they'll just go straight there and say, look, we want to make a deal. We have to make a deal quick. Do you want this type of package? Or, you know, give me a give me a little variation to it and we'll see if we could come to an agreement. Otherwise, I'm going to have to move on because, you know, I, a lot of Mets fans don't want Yusei Kikuchi. But to me, he's that number four type of guy that I'm confident is going to take the ball every fifth day. And ha he, he does have some semblance of ups, upside. He made the all-star team. He had a he had a Taiwan Walker year, basically. Really good first half, made an all-star team and then struggled in the second half. Uh, but that's to me, I wouldn't burn a lot of time on these trades. I would just I would go straight to the point. You know, there's a lot of BS in trade negotiations where eh, you haggle this player, you haggle that one, you haggle a little money coming back, all that stuff like this has got to be. This is what I want to do. This is basically it. Take it, leave it. And if they leave it, you move on to the next thing. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It goes without saying that we are all missing travel right now. But you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals, flights, and more. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, this view is incredible. More, mmm, another round of room service, please. More, yes, I'm extending my vacation. Sorry, boss, if you're listening, just ignore that last part. Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, check out Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more wow, mmm, and yes, just to name a few. Make sure to download the Priceline app for even more savings. That's why I tossed the tough ones your way, my friend. I knew you'd have uh, I knew you'd have a firm stance. And I, and I think I think Epler is gonna operate the way you just laid things out. I think it's just, there's just too much risk to get real cute in trade talks and, and, and let it go by. Cause the agents will call you and say, Hey, this, this guy's going. So now or never. All right, let's wrap this up before we get to the mailbag with some free agent signings that are very realistic. Honestly, these are very much in play. These are very doable. These are things that 
man, if the lockout ended today, these kinds of deals can happen within 48 to 72 hours, quite simply. So, I, Joe, I know you got three, which is awesome. I got one. Uh, I, I say sign Andrew the Sheriff Chafin. Yes, that is his nickname, the Sheriff. This is simple. I, he to, to me, he is the best lefty on the market, one of the best relievers on the market. He's a free agent. You don't got to trade for him. I'm not out here trading high-end assets for relievers. I think Chapin fits like a glove with the Mets' needs. Once Luke walked, this was my guy. So we're talking a very long time. This has been the guy for the bullpen. I, I want to see Chapin in Queens. Yeah, I, I think Chapin is the most, I guess, obvious Aaron Loop replacement. My only wonder is there is a need for left-handed relief in baseball. So is Andrew Chafin getting like not much less money than Aaron Loop? And if hot that's ticket, the, a hot if, item. Yeah. If that's the case, like, do you want to pay two years, 14, 15 million for him when you could have paid two years, 17 for Aaron Loop? Um, are they just not valuing the lefty reliever at that level? But uh, if Chafin could come on a one-year deal, I'm in. I'm not really looking to do two years, but obviously, like you said, he is the best uh, lefty reliever remaining on the market. And it obviously won't shock me if the Mets were to sign him. Um, my whole thing that I'm closing out with, and if you know, is mine is mostly depth. Cause I, while John Heyman said they could make another impact move, I will believe it when I see it. I feel like they've done their impact shopping. So I, I went and got the lefty reliever and Caleb Smith and the draft pick in trade for J.D. Davis. Uh, I got the lefty for the rotation and that number three starter in Sean Manaya for the trade based around Dom Smith. And now I'm going to kind of plug in some of the edges here. Uh, the Mets had conversations about re-upping with Juris Familia prior to the lockout, and he had a pretty strong year all around. So bring Juris back for one year. The reality is Familia doesn't want to go anywhere else. I think you could get him for some reasonable money. And I think he's a, you know, a perfectly solid middle reliever that will frustrate you at times, but I think, you know, he, he fits this team and I think everyone loves Familia. So bringing him back, I think is a nice move. Uh, I'm trading away JD Davis. So thus I need to add some infield depth back to the team and Connor, I'm bringing him home. I'm bringing your guy home. Jonathan VR. I love bring, this. Come back for one year. Tell him, hey, you're going to be that super sub just like he was signed for last year. And, you know, inevitably there'll be injuries, underperformance, et cetera. He'll get his way into the lineup. But if all things are perfect, you add some pop and some speed to the bench. Speaking of pop and a little bit of speed and some on-base skills, I'm going to sign Tommy Pham to be my fourth outfielder. Uh, I know a lot of people are going to hear that and go, Tommy Pham, he's really good. But if you really go look at it, He's not, he didn't really put up starting outfielder numbers last year. Uh, the average is much down, strikes out, uh, but, he, but he gets on base. He's got a little bit of pop. He can run a little bit. So to me, a, a guy like Tommy Pham kind of like fills out that bench. And now you're at a spot where that bench is going to have a little more thump in it than, you know, maybe it does present day. And also some speed aspect and some versatility. So to me, I think this is a good way to kind of round out the roster. You got the high-end talent. Um, you add around the edges and, and obviously a, a rock-solid starter in Manaya, And you just go to war until July. And when July comes around, you will know what you need. And then you could address that at the deadline. So I, I think I was able to keep commitment short-term. I think Caleb Smith has two years of control left. Manaya's in his last year. I'm signing all of the free agents to one year. Um, not trading away any you know, can't lose type of prospects. And I think it makes the Mets team overall better and frankly different, which is, I think, something that they really want to do is be different than the team that didn't succeed last year. I think so too. I think this is a way to ensure that you don't deal with the injury plagued roster you had to put out there early last year. It's a deeper team. It's a even a, a more talented team at the top. And like you said, the mental makeup of the team not just because of the coaching staff, but for the veterans at the top uh, is what can get this over the hump. All right, let's move on and get to the mailbag. And if you have your own ideas for Mets post-lockout moves, throw them in a five-star iTunes review, tweet them at us, 
however you want to get them to us. Uh, I guess not the email right now, Joe. We yeah, uh, I, I don't work on that. I don't know the password to the email. Like someone tweeted us today, and they're like, "Are you checking the email?" I'm like, "Oh crap!" I got you know we talked about the new iPhone a couple weeks ago. Like I forgot to sign into the that's no Mets email, and I don't know the password. So I got to figure that one out. Um, but yes, like like Connor said. We want to hear your off-season plans too. Leave them in a five-star review, and uh, you know we could bring them up on next week's show. Tweet us at PSL Flushing at Connor J Rogers. Like we want to know what you guys want to see post lockout. Sure, we'll get some people that are like sign everybody, and then we'll get some people that are trade everybody. I- I'm just excited. I'm interested to see what you all want to see happen. All right, the first question of today's show from One Shining Mets. Kind of been a hot item lately, this topic. I've seen it floating around Twitter. If DeGrom is healthy and pitches like DeGrom, what does the contract look like? And is there any chance it's not from Steve Cohen? So my takeaway with this one is, you know, obviously it makes just no sense for them to enter negotiations right now because nobody knows what Jacob DeGrom not that he, what he's going to look like this year. It would be shocking to me if the Grom came out and was healthy, but wasn't good. More so the fact of how long he can hold up. And keep in mind, the Grom early in this season, you know, the third week of June, turns 34 years old. So my take on it is with previous ownership or even normal ownership across sports, this would be one of the most concerning situations you could ever have as a fan, as a GM, because you're you're praying to Grom is the Cy Young pitcher he's been. And then you find yourself in a situation where you you are just you're in trouble in negotiations. But if you if you go the other way and try to save some money on the deal and get that done now, well, then you're worried that his elbow is going to go and you just you just bought damaged goods. So fortunately for the Mets. With Steve Cohen, I don't have that kind of fear. If DeGrom comes back and is himself and is great, I think his deal looks something like Scherzer's. And it's as simple as that because he's 34. You give him a three-year deal, he's gonna you're going to pay him more than Scherzer to tip your cap the respect for Jacob DeGrom, a great, an all-time New York Met, and you keep it moving. And the only way you don't get it done because the money doesn't matter is if he doesn't want to be here. And I don't see any indication that Jacob DeGrom doesn't want to be here. So normally, as a New York sports fan that has seen way too many of these go the wrong way, I don't worry about DeGrom's tenure with the Mets, Joe. I worry about DeGrom being the guy we've watched for the next three to four years. Yeah, I mean, I think if he's healthy and pitches like DeGrom, like you said, you start at Scherzer money and you throw him a little more and maybe it's one more year or you throw on an option or something like that. But I feel like, I feel like the Scherzer deal is just like kind of a setup for what DeGrom would want if he, you know, pitched like himself and everything. As far as, is there any chance it's not from Steve Cohen? I think, yeah, I think there is actually a chance. Um, I, I, there's some underlying things that uh, DeGrom wasn't happy this year. Uh, he wasn't happy with obviously being hurt because the level of competitor that he is, and he wants to be out there every fifth day. Um, he was not happy with the Danny Alderson. Yeah. The Mets handling of him and the way they spoke about his injury uh, or whatever. And he was not happy. So I do think, you know, I don't think by any means he hates the Mets and he's like, I can't wait to be out of here, but I, I do think that there is some relationship repair that needs to happen this year. Um, And I hope that's a a focus for the Mets is to make sure that everything's in lockstep with Jake, because I mean, he doesn't have to pitch for the Mets. He's obviously an elite arm. And if he goes and pitches great, he's going to be able to get whatever he wants, almost wherever he wants. So it'll be like you said, up to him. Um, But they're, you know, it's easy to just be like Steve Cohen, $15 billion. He could pay anyone whatever he wants. No one's ever going to leave. But there's some stuff behind the scenes that needs to be worked out with Jake. And that uh, I know he just wa- he wasn't happy this year. And I think it was a combination of factors. And they have to fix that in 2022. And if they're able to do that, then, you know, obviously Steve Cohen has the purse strings to pay Jacob DeGrom, whatever he feels like paying Jacob DeGrom. 
yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that Degrom is a guy that if he has a bad start or stretch or an injury, it all boils up into one big Degrom tornado of like anger, and that's because he's one of the greatest competitors to ever put on a New York Mets uniform. I would argue he's one of the greatest competitors to ever play sports in the city of New York. I just think he's built that way, but obviously that can also be concerning in terms of sometimes guys like that, they just reach a point where they're like, I'm just over this. Like, I just need a fresh start. I just need, and I think that really rubbed him the wrong way. When Sandy said that there was a problem with his elbow, when Jake angrily said there's nothing wrong with my elbow and walked away from the reporters, the reporters that he meets with a million times a year. It's not like they were, you know, random people like guy. you develop a relationship, even if it's just business and, you know, casual being friendly or being even cordial. So I, you're right, Joe, it, it shouldn't just be glossed over, overlooked. Um, it, there is something to be said there. What I will say with the Mets it's cool that Steve Cohen and his wife, Alex, uh, you know, know how to get involved in situations like these, but don't overdo it. They're like kind of the, you know, the big, like the closer or the, the, your best bat on the bench to get it done. Like with Lindor, the big dinner we know about with Scherzer, it was Cohen and Alex. Like these are situations that I think you actually have a, ownership group that you know obviously they are husband and wife that know how to clearly relate to people and i think you have to have competence in them with people relations until they get it wrong and so far since steve cohen has owned the mets i can't think of one that he per with a player that went the wrong way. And there's been two big situations, Lindor and Scherzer, and they both went the right way. And, and with Jake, that's a little bit, probably the toughest personality of the three. But I, I think it would, if he is the guy that we've known him to be, I think it's correctable. But like you said, just an interesting situation. There was one that didn't go their way and we're pretty thankful it did not. And that was Trevor Bauer. Um, did they get involved though? Or I thought that was always Sandy. No, Steve was involved. Um, okay. I don't know. I don't. I don't know about Alex. I mean, Trevor Bowers. Tre Trevor Bowers a single man, so I don't think the Alex that thing really matters much. Like, from what I understand, especially specifically with Scherzer, is like Cohen's the deal maker. He's cutting the checks. He's talking the dollars and cents, and and you know the overall plan. And Alex is talking to the significant other because, as we all know, in free agency pleasing the wife, pleasing the significant other, whatever is just as important, if not more so important than pleasing the player themselves. So I think they have a great dynamic and, you know, Alex will tell them about what there is to do in the city and, you know, all things that she can sell the Mets on. And she sells to the wife. Cohen talks money with the player. And, you know, I think it's like you said, a fantastic uh, combination there, but as far as Bauer goes, it was, you know, Sandy driving it, but Steve Cohen was going to be involved in his first $40 million a year uh, investment. But yeah, I think, like you said, Cohen, the Cohen family, they're closers. That's what they've been their whole life. So I have the expectation that you won't bat a thousand, but more often than not, I think when, when Steve and Alex get involved, you're going to see more things close in the Mets favor than not. All right. The next question is from Jake. He asked, who is a prospect that you could see winning a major league roster spot in spring training? Joe, is there anyone that you could see getting this done? List is really short. I mean, I don't think a guy like Mark Vientos is going to crack the major league roster opening day. Um, I don't see a Jose Buteau or Adam Aller doing so. You just got to look at the outfield. So, you know, I had the Mets sign Tommy Pham. Let's play a hypothetical word where they don't sign a veteran outfielder for the bench. Then you look at a guy like Khalil Lee, or you look at a guy like Nick Plummer, like those two guys, uh, you know, the Mets signed Plummer uh, as a minor league free agent, but to a major league deal. 
He was the former first-round pick of the Cardinals, uh, made a swing adjustment, tapped into more power this year, hit 15 home runs, really good on base skills. Um, and Khalil Lee had a fantastic year in AAA. I've highlighted that a lot uh, on SNY here on the podcast. Uh, he had a great year once he had that horrible stretch, uh, that very quick cup of coffee in the big leagues. But to me, it's just one of them. It's either Khalil Lee or, or it's Nick Plummer. That's probably it. But, you know, with the prospects in the system, we're getting closer and closer to having legitimate guys getting ready to touch the major league diamond. Yeah, I think it's just it's just not that kind of spring where you're not a year from now, right? We'll be looking at like oh, yeah. we'll be on Beatty and Vientos watch. I think you could safely say. Yeah, I think Vientos will be up this year at some point. Uh, he's on the 40 man roster. He was added uh, to protect him from the rule five draft. And I just I just think he's going to hit. So I think you'll find Vientos will find his way up at some point this year. There's a chance that Brett Beatty does. Uh, there's also a chance that he does not. And in that case, like you said, we'll be on prime Brett Beatty watch. Maybe if he's still around, maybe we're on Ronnie Mauricio watch. Uh, yeah, so I think that's kind of where we're looking the next year or so. All right, the last question from today's mailbag is from Brendan Mallon. And we had to get this one in because it is... Uh, Joe and I read it together before the show, and we were like, huh, that's fascinating. So Brandon asked, do you believe a reason for drastically increasing the size of the center field scoreboard is to combat wind coming in from the Flushing Bay, which hopefully will help boost offense? So I have never thought this, and I would think these guys hit home, not all of them, but some guys hit home runs so high that that still might not have an impact at all, that that ball can get caught up in the very high elevation gust. But I will say, I don't think this is crazy. Like, I don't think this is insane. And I don't think I don't think it's the reason that it's going to be that big. I think that it they just they just want to ball out with City Field, honestly. <laughs> like, I just think they just want City Field to be like not it would be crazy to call it Jerry World. How do you like that reference, Joe? It would yeah. be crazy to call it like Jerry World of like the Northeast for baseball. But I think I honestly think they want to get as close as they can to being that kind of location. I yeah, I think I think the main focus here is they want to be on the cutting edge. They want to be ahead of the game on technology. You know, they want to, I'm sure whatever this the size of this new scoreboard will ultimately be. Like we saw the rendering, we don't know what it's actually going to be, but I I'm sure that's going to be the biggest scoreboard in all of baseball. Um, so they're going to, they're going to want to be on the cutting edge here. And I think for the most part, it's, you know, Steve Cohen wanting to be out front there and also flash the ability that he has the money to do whatever he wants to the stadium. Uh, maybe a secondary thing is, Hey, it'll stop some wind. That's cool. So that that liner will carry a little further or, you know, and, and that could go against you too that liner from the other team is going to carry not just yours. So maybe it's a, a minor factor. I think it's a fascinating question because I've given that 0% thought before we read it, you know, shortly before we came on to record. I just think for the most part, it's, you know, whether it's trying to be like Jerry world or whatever, I don't know, but I think they just want to be, they, I think Steve Cohen will want, want city field to be considered the best ballpark in baseball. Like, I mean, what they're going to do with this technology, it's only scratching the surface. Like now with sports gambling in New York, there's I'm sure there's going to be kiosks for that. Like you're going to be able to do watch more things in the clubs. And, you know, the reality is some people don't go to baseball games to sit for nine innings and fill out a scorecard and watch every pitch. Like you want to make an event for everyone. And I think they're just, they're just taking the opportunity to make city field more of an attraction. And, you know, uh, eventually, hopefully they could clean up the area around City Field and turn it into what they want to. And then you're talking about like people want to travel to see a game at City Field. I don't know how much of that happens now outside of just like the crazy diehards that need to see the stadium. Uh, you could just turn it into a legitimate destination. And, you know, Jerry World's one of those things that I have friends that don't like the Cowboys that go to Texas and are like, well, I had to get a tour of the stadium and they don't like the team. So I think they want to turn city field into something of that ilk. And I'd be interested to find out like, 
do they care? Do they know about the, like, is the wind at all a factor or is it just, I got money. I'm about to ball out with Samsung. Yeah, I would be fascinated to like ask about this off the record because you'd never get like a real on the record answer, like off the record, if that is a secondary thought with building this thing. But I, I do think that, you know, at the end of the day, honestly, this is something that like people have to realize at some point. So many things the Mets do, even off the field or away from the actual baseball team, is going to be geared towards putting out a more impressive product than the Yankees. Even if you are a Mets fan that doesn't care about the Yankees, right? Like there are definitely two totally different types of Mets fans. There are Mets fans that they don't care if the team is in last place. Like beating the Yankees is the greatest thing in the world. And then there are Mets fans that are just like, it's just another game. I'd rather beat the Braves. I'd rather beat the Nationals. I'd rather beat the Phillies. Like, and I always consider myself somewhere in the middle. I do feel a certain way when the Mets beat the Yankees. I'm not going to sit here and lie. But I also am the type that, you know, I also care a lot when the Mets beat their actual division opponents. So I think. It's just a reality that a lot of people need to adjust their viewing for, Joe, is that, like, Steve Cohen is very, very rich. Like, as much money as God, right? So when that factors in, you you don't want to be, like, all he's known is first-rate kind of lifestyle. Well, now, Steve Cohen, his identification to the public is not rich guy. His identification to the public is rich guy that owns the New York Mets. So everything associated with the New York Mets goes back to the public image of Steve Cohen. And when you get inside the head of a billionaire and how they operate, their public image being associated with that team, everything that team does for them needs to be better than everyone around them. And that is a factor... You can't catch up to the Yankees history. You're going to you're chasing an unwinnable battle. But can you have a cooler stadium? Can you have more expensive, more exciting off seasons? Can you even try to buy a winning product? Those are things you can do. And he's made it clear those are things that he will do. I don't know Steve Cohen's family tree. Um I don't know if he has siblings or what he has for for family. Um but I feel like Steve Cohen would not do well as a little brother. Like, I don't, you know, the Mets are the He's Yankees. He's living it little, right now, brother. He's yeah, living it they, right now. Here we go. The, Met, the Mets are the Yankees' little brother. And I think he has a focus and he wants to change that perception. And um, obviously winning is going to do that for a majority of people. Like actually just going and being a successful team. Like having cool stuff isn't going to, you know, completely change that. But like you said, he's going to have the ability to have you know, a state of the art stadium. He's going to have the ability to spend as much, if not more money than anyone in baseball. Um, he's going to be able to build up a farm system, player development, analytics. Like he's going to have the ability to, like, I truly believe that the Mets are fast tracking themselves to being the East coast Dodgers. Like they're, they're not there yet. Um, but you see them making drastic changes in multiple departments, uh, like this is going to be, I firmly believe Steve Cohen's going to turn the Mets into what everyone hoped Steve Cohen was going to turn the Mets into. And, you know, this idea, like, I think he wants New York to be a Mets town. He doesn't want it to be a Yankees town and, you know, LOL Mets or that's so Mets. Like we, I've said this before on the show, when we made this show, it was like, you know, it will be really great when we look back in five years and, you know, God willing, we're still doing this show in five years. But when we look back in five years, be like, remember the time when that's so Mets was like a real thing. But man, those days were something like that's that's the vision here. And I think that's what Steve Cohen's vision is. And right now, I have no reason to think anything other than he's going to fulfill that vision. And it starts with some of this stuff, like the stuff that half the fan base may not give a crap about on the surface, but when you go to city field over the next couple of years, cause it's all these changes aren't happening now. Like that big scoreboard isn't coming this season. I think it's uh, for 2023 but over the next couple of years, 
I think you're going to find yourself enjoying your trip to City Field a little more with what they're pulling in. I think so, too. I think it's it just is part of the experience. It's part of the game day experience. And, you know, that's something that every sports franchise usually is trying to maximize. But I think the Mets, there was a lot of untapped potential there for the Mets. The fact that they are in New York, the fact that, you know, there's the obvious that they have not been able to acquire the land around the stadium that is just going to be an ongoing issue. But you know, they do have a lot of territory within the ballpark. And, you know, I don't know about you, Joe, but like it's it's wild to go to a game now compared to how things were. Forget Shea Stadium. But even when City Field opened, the fact that you can go to the ballpark and you can go get craft beer, you can go get almost any kind of food that you desire. And it's not like crap. Like it's there's actually like good ballpark food if that's what you want to do. When I, you know, I've said this before, like when I've gone with my girlfriend's family and she has, you know, very young niece and nephew, like the fact that you can go take them to behind center field and they can hit and run the bases. Like those are the kinds of things that, you know, like you and I are, we're Mets fans and we're sports fans and we're diehard baseball fans. Like you and I will get beer food and we will sit and watch all nine innings in our seats like that. But we are... God, a small percentage at this point. Uh, that is, yeah, we're, it's, we're what, not like, the majority anymore. I, that's for sure. Twenty percent of fans would want to do that. I'm, just being honest. Yeah, like I, I don't know. 25, I don't know. Five, maybe something like. Yeah, I guess spitballing. Like when you, I mean, just think of it this way: when you go to a game. So let's just say you, who's listening to this right now, like you're like Joe and Connor. You are exactly me. But in the fourth inning, you get up. You have to go to the bathroom. You want to get a beer. There's people everywhere you go in the for, in the middle of a game. Those people aren't sitting down and watching the game the whole time. Like they're getting up. They're going around. Like you said, you know, maybe you're bringing little Tommy to the, <laughs> to the field in the back so he could hit on the wiffle ball field or whatever. And like, cause that's what he wants to do. And you're, you're just going to go ahead and do it. Yeah. So, I don't care about the game. Yeah. Everyone's everyone's, game day thing is different and you know you and i are childrenless so like that's the kind of stuff like we have the ability to go to a game and be like this is what i'm doing because there's really no one else that we have to you know answer to their necessary necessarily their desires other than go get me another beer connor or joe um, yeah. that's pretty much that's pretty much it so we could go how we want to go but yeah there's People, I think, underrate the amount of people that don't look at baseball the same way uh, as we do. I mean, you could even think about it from the lockout perspective. Like, I have a bunch of friends that are generic baseball fans, and I had one genuinely text me this weekend and go, when does spring training start? And I was like, do you want the real answer? I don't know. The real answer, the real answer is I don't know. The technical answer is a week from month. So you know, today uh, on Valentine's Day is pitcher, pitchers and catchers. And he's like, what do you mean you don't know when? And I'm like, there's a lockout. And they're like, what's that mean? Like, they don't. there's a lot of baseball fans that don't even know what's going on. Like, we're in the, you know, in the dirt here with it. But there's a lot of people that probably just assume on March 31st, they could just go to City Field. And maybe they'll show up and there'll be a rude awakening when if no one's there. No one's there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it the level of baseball fan is so diverse and different that you know I don't even know if we even fully grasp all of it. No, I, I think we are guilty of being very in the weeds. And let's be real, you and I are one of our many goals and desires of the show was to create a community of Mets fans that are, you know. I mean, this is a community for everyone, but also let's be real, like similar to us that we'll sit and listen to our, our off season plans when the lockout ends. We'll sit here and listen to us talk about the Grom's contract numbers and the scenarios like, and, and because of that, you, you get enclosed in, in run Mets Twitter where like those are diehard. Those are people watching every game, live tweeting every game. So it's yeah, it's a very specific section of the fan base. While it's 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 much bigger than that, uh, much more diverse than that. And with that being said, that is episode eighty. Joe, closing thoughts. 
I, I hope this time next week we're talking about some progress, but um, I'm done having hope. I'm a little frustrated, honestly. Yeah, I'm right done now. having hope. I'm pissed off that it's like, you know, when we went December and they and they locked the players out, which we know they didn't have to do. But when they did that in December, I was just like, February 1st, we'll be we'll be making some real ground. And we're here a full week into February. And it feels like we are barely closer than we were a month ago. Like it's, it's, it's frustrating. And man, I, I just hope that stuff just starts to break soon and we could get going. Cause I don't know what I'm going to do if March 31st comes and there's not baseball. Like, what am I going to do? I don't know. Like everything else is over. Like uh, NCAA tournaments probably wrapping up, I guess, but like, there's no football, no baseball. I don't got interest, man. Like, what the hell am I going to do? They need to figure this out just for my own sanity. You are going to be consuming a lot of NFL draft content, my friend, until that's NFL, over. Yeah. NFL stock exchange. I'll be, I'll be certainly tuned into that. And uh, yeah, there you go. no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm about the NFL draft day anyway, so I'll be all into that. And, you know, I'll, I'll follow college baseball. Well, I've started high school baseball. I've started. So I'm taking this opportunity, like I like when we talked to Joe Doyle a couple of weeks back and we talked about some on the pod. I've taken this opportunity when baseball has screwed me to get a head start on the MLB draft. So we'll continue to talk about that uh, as the weeks go. And yeah, I'm, I'm diving in, man. I'm diving into the high school hitters, some of the high school pitchers. I, I looked at a couple of college pitchers. A couple of them are already hurt, but look at a couple of those and some college bats. So. Yeah, I'm starting to really get into it, man. And uh, yeah, that's the only thing that I could thank the lockout for, that I just get started early on something that I typically wouldn't start until February or March. Oh, I mean, we're going to be primed and ready to go for NFL draft, uh, for MLB draft this year. It's going to be pretty. I mean, we, because of your coverage for SNY with the team last year, had a obviously pretty good pretty good handle. But I feel like this year is going to be a different, different monster. And it's kind of cool that the Mets have, so many extra picks as well that always makes it that uh, makes me more that makes right? me even more into it like if they yeah. signed if they signed kamar rocker and they just picked 14th and they got a comp pick or two or whatever i'd still obviously be into it but i feel like man i'm trying to hammer home who should and maybe who will the mets take at 11 and 14 um i i had a kumar rocker feeling that i talked about all the time last year so um Make sure you're tuning in as, as we get closer. Obviously, the draft won't be until July, so we are a long, long away way from that. But like you, like you said, as as we get closer, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have you updated on everyone. Like I'm gonna be able to talk first round, second round, third round guys. Like I want to know a hundred plus for sure. Like that's my goal is to be over a hundred players of real knowledge this year, so that way I'm prepared for all these extra picks that they have. And if they trade J.D. Davis to Arizona and get another competitive balance pick, you know, I'm going to prepare myself for that. So, yeah, the, the MLB draft coverage is is going to kick ass here. No doubt about it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for sticking with us during the lockout. And as always, we're going to be back on YouTube soon as well. So make sure you subscribe to the That's So Mess YouTube channel and subscribe. Stay here. Stay right here. We will catch you next week for episode number 81. Gearheads know that some projects need so many parts, it feels like you need a whole storage unit just to store them. That's what eBay Motors' 122 million parts are for. Think of it as your virtual parts garage. They've always got the right fitment at the right prices. Use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride.